hello and happy Saturday. Happy Saturday indeed. Welcome into episode number 88. That's right, episode number 88 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. You can find this humble podcast wherever you can find your favorite outsports shows. Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, we're all there. We're all over the apps. And I will be immersed in the apps next week like I've never been because uh, nobody except my very close friends know this about me, and my family knows it about me too. Um, I use an iPhone 7. That's right, an iPhone 7, and they are now up to the 13, so I'm almost doubled in iPhone age. I've had this thing, I guess since college, it still has the home screen, and uh, it, 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 there's no memory on this thing at all. It's the point where I have to delete pictures to be able to like download an app, or upload a picture to Instagram. So I'm deleting pictures to upload pictures, deleting my memories uh, to download one stupid app at a time or one attachment at a time. It's quite sad. So finally next week, I am getting a brand new phone, a brand new iPhone. So I will be in 2021, soon to be 2022, just like everybody else in the phone world. So yeah, I'm sure that'll improve all of my app and podcast listening experiences, right? I mean, you know, and then I just need my AirPods and I'll totally be up to date. Um, But uh, I have an interesting guest for everyone this week. Uh, Martin Stark is is an out boxer in Australia and he is putting together the World Gay Boxing Championships that will take place from Sydney in 2023, but that's not all. Martin's story about how he got into boxing and fell in love with boxing is quite unique, I would say, and that's uh, putting it on the conservative side of things. Uh, He lives with an autoimmune condition, which has placed him in the hospital time and time again throughout his adult life. He's been in two induced comas as a result of his condition. Uh, He's faced death multiple times in his life, and he's never been more at peace, he says, than when he's in a boxing ring. So how's that for a tease? Martin Stark is coming up in a few moments, but first, since I am technically the Deputy Managing Editor about sports, I do like to plug our own work once in a while. Two quick things I want to hit on here. First, an article I wrote, the Red Sox, now not to pull back the podcast curtain here, but I'm recording this on Friday afternoon before game six. So by the time you listen to this Saturday or whenever, maybe the Red Sox won't be playing anymore. But when they did win in this postseason, they've played an iconic gay pop anthem, Dancing on My Own, and not the Robin version either, which is iconic in its own right, but the Callum Scott and Tiesto remix, which you hear at gay bars. Not not really. It's not really a club song. Gay bars, we'll say, across the country. You hear that. It's an iconic gay pop anthem. And the Red Sox, led by Mr. Bend and Snap himself, Kike Hernandez, are embracing it. And this is amazing because, I mean, the music selection at Fenway (laughs) is as old as the ballpark itself. Uh, Almost. Sweet Caroline, that boring ditty that that Neil Diamond uh, sings about his love to an underage Caroline Kennedy that has been the the eighth inning stretch uh, the eighth inning song since at least 1997 and that's a song from the late 60s about an underage girl it's very weird but it stays it, the music selection is quite bad is the point i'm making so bad in fact that 
this postseason, the Red Sox started to play Mr. Brightside by the Killers in between innings, and all these Red Sox fans and Boston sports media people are acting like it's some crazy party song. I mean, that's how starved Red Sox fans are. They think Mr. Brightside is some sort of crazy, wild song. So that shows you where the Red Sox typically are in terms of musical taste. And this is where this team is now, Dancing on My Own. It's a perfect song for them, too. Yeah, they have one of the highest perils in the game, but they were up and down all year. Roller coaster season. They had that huge COVID outbreak, losses to the woebegone Orioles and Nationals at the end, tons of ups and downs, tons of come from behind victories, bullpen meltdowns, defensive lapses. They dealt with it all and overcame it all throughout the season. So it maybe felt like at times they were dancing on their own by themselves. So we love good symmetry, honey. Yes, we love that. And Arsen Ziegler has a good column up as well about Ed Orgeron, the soon-to-be ex-head coach at LSU, as The Athletic reported this week. Uh, He attacked UCLA with some homophobia last month, calling uh, their uniform the little sissy blue shirt. This is the exact quote. Orgeron was greeted... When he rose, uh, when he as he arrived at the Rose Rose Bowl to open the season, he was greeted by Bruins fan. Instead of ignoring this fan, Orgeron engaged with him. This is what he said: "Bring your ass on in your little sissy blue shirt." And LSU lost that game, thirty-eight twenty-seven. So obviously, a uh, homophobic uh, insult from Orgeron, sissy blue. Yep, you get where he's going there. Well, actually, the fan who Orgeron accosted, verbally accosted, has created a sissy blue T-shirt line. That's popped up online. At least four UCLA football players have also signed deals endorsing the line. Old Miss, which is LSU's next opponent, said we love that sissy blue. So make no mistake, Orgeron's original use of this term, quite homophobic. I mean, called UCLA a bunch of sissies. Believe him, believe what he says. He did not mean it as a compliment, but This is reclaiming the word. We talk about how the community has reclaimed queer in recent years. Well, this is reclaiming sissy blue. And Ed Orgeron, don't let the sissy blue hit you on the way out, as Sid says. That athletic article is crazy, by the way. I mean, this guy is such a sleazeball. He was hitting on this woman at a gas station. And the woman tells him that she's married. And he says, well, what does that matter? Turns out the woman... Is the as a is, is is a wife of one of the people on the LSU board of governors or board of trustees, the the powerful people in Louisiana who run the state university. So that's how this got rolling on Orgeron because he was hitting on some woman at a gas station, and she was married to one of the most powerful business people in Louisiana. So, yeah, all right, Ed. Coming up next, we're going to talk to someone a lot more inspiring, Martin Stark. He has a great story. Thanks as always for listening. And welcome back to the Sports Kiki Podcast. As I said in the opening, we have a guest this week and a cool one at that. Martin Stark is based way out in Australia, so he woke up early to talk with us this morning. Uh, But he's starting the World Gay Boxing Championships, which is the world's first LGBTQI plus boxing tournament. It will be held in Sydney in 2023. Martin is a newcomer to the sport, but he has a really cool story about how he found himself in boxing as well. Uh, But Martin, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Good morning. I'm having a great day. It's a beautiful Saturday morning in Sydney. Just like to first of all say I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where I currently am, the Gamma people, 
and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Mm. I'd like to extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and all First Nations people. Excellent. Yes. Um, yeah, that's are, are you are you are you are you with the Aborigine people or? No, no. It, it, what, what, it's just about pay, paying respects. Right. Uh, I'm on Aboriginal land, and it's just something that we we do here. We acknowledge, and and that's one thing I think I love about sport. We acknowledge others and we respect yes. other people. Yeah, I agree. Sports is all about community, and I've always said too, Martin. Just speaking in general terms, it's like the last meritocracy around sports. You know, if you have a if you have a last name that people recognize, maybe that gets your foot in the door. But if you stink, you stink. So. That's what I say. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially, especially after a heavy boxing class. You head, you head straight for the shots because you'll be stinking on the way home. Definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, you start with boxing. I'll talk, I want to talk a lot about the World Gay Boxing Championships and what you want to do with that. Uh, but your, your, your uh, relationship with boxing, I think, is interesting. Uh, you live with Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune condition. Uh, because of that disease, I saw this in the CNN feature about you. You've been in two induced comas so that's quite a backstory how did all this lead you to boxing so in, in 2006 i had gallstones blocking my liver and wow. at the time I, i'm diagnosed with addison's disease and i had a procedure to try and remove some of the stones but what happened was dye seeped into my pancreas and i ended up developing pancreatitis i had septic shock i had collapsed lungs and I was placed in one induced coma, which was also a severe Addisonian crisis. And I recovered from that. I was still in with the intensive care, but then the sepsis actually got worse. And the doctors had to perform a tracheotomy. And I remember being immobilized, unable to breathe as they perform a tracheotomy. It's a tracheotomy was always my worst fear. So you can imagine having to live through your worst fear. I was scared. Am yeah. I going to die again? I'm not die again. I'm, you know, am I going to die? Having a tracheotomy, and then they placed me in a second induced coma. Obviously, the Addison crisis is much worse this time too. So I had sepsis, pancreatitis, collapsed lungs, and I somehow survive. And later that year, I have major surgery. And I, and I don't recover. I, I, I basically keep having Addison crises. And after my fourth or fifth admission to hospital, after having surgery, a doctor in the emergency department just notices something different and diagnoses the condition. So thankfully, <laughs> I've been able to survive through excellent medical care that we have in Australia and the UK, diagnosed with an autoimmune condition and just keep going and enjoying life. I've been in hospital about 70 times over the last 15 years. I've had four major surgeries and I've always been a, a resilient person and I, what I call I embrace courage about five years ago and that's made the biggest difference to my life. Wow. I mean, in, in boxing, how does, how does all this lead you to find and embrace boxing? So at the end of, well, towards the end of 2017, I had an Addisonian crisis where I ended up in the resuscitation section of emergency. I wasn't resuscitated, but I was close oh to dying. Oh, God. And there was a moment where I knew that the next step was back into intensive care. Unless they somehow stabilized me, 
one of the experiences I had in my two comas were the dreams. The dreams I, I have, which I call living nightmares, are a, a very painful memory. And what happened is I connected the experience of being in the induced comas in intensive care with the experience of almost dying again. And I wanted a, a way of breaking that. So I, I just approached a martial arts center for a few self-defense classes. And the second class just happened to be boxing. And I describe it as boxing discovered me. I, I was always the last one to be picked at school sports, apart from swimming, which was, I was, I was a very good swimmer. But I loved it, and I just continued having lessons. And I, I catalogued my journey on Instagram using the hashtag GayBoxing. Mm-hmm. But there were fewer than 1,000 posts to that hashtag, but millions of posts to the general boxing hashtag. And people would never associate with me with boxing at all. And, and I loved it. And I continued and I continued, and I wanted to go to the gay games and compete in boxing. I was calling myself the future world gay boxing champion, cheekily. Yeah. But I, I understand I understand there are only so many sports that these games can have. So boxing didn't make it. So I decided I love this sport. I love the community. I love the sporting community. Why don't I create an organization which I just called the World Gay Boxing Championships and hold an a tournament for the LGBTQIA plus community and our allies and really disrupt homophobia, transphobia, bring the boxing community, LGBTQIA community, wider community together and really make a difference to the love of sport. Yeah. I, I want to ask a lot about um, what boxing, what it provides you and how you feel while you're doing it. But I also want, but I do want to circle back to, you said you suffered these these nightmares while you were Uh, in these comas, I'm sorry if this comes across as like a juvenile question, but when you say coma, you think that someone is completely out of it. You have the capacity to dream. I guess, what's it like being, being in a coma? So, so my, my comas, my comas were induced comas. So I was placed on a ventilator. Right. Okay. And so I, what, what happened, I think things that were happening around me, my brain obviously created dreams huh. and memories as a way of coping. So I was asleep, but in, in, those, in those sleep states, I just remembered the dreams. These were very deep dreams, but they were very horrific nightmares. I remember one nightmare where there was this, this person was attacking a single member of my family, kind of going from grandparents down to cousins down, and it was like becoming my turn. And I remember another dream where I was in hospital and there was fluid being just put on my arm. And at any time I complained that the fluid was stronger. So it it was just weird. And there's there's a piece of music that was played apparently to try and calm me down when they extubated me from my first induced coma. But when I hear that music, I freeze. I can't even describe it but it, it, it's ingrained in my memory. And I, it's, and I can only talk about my own experience, but I think that I remember the more troubling dreams were in my second induced coma, especially after I had the tracheotomy, because I, I woke up unable to speak. I woke up. The only way I could speak was that they had to insert this different tube. And when they, when they removed the tracheotomy, this is my voice. My, my vocal cords were damaged. So for 15, 16 months of my life, this was the only way I could speak. And 
that's, that's the first thing that people would mention is why are you speak in that way. So I would I would explain, <laughs> and it took me it took me a period of time to actually learn how to speak again. I, I remember I was, I was in the bathroom and I just probably used my diaphragm more, so yeah. I was able to get my my voice back. But the way you would usually speak, this this would be yeah. my voice. Gosh, sounds like it'd be very harsh on the throat to to speak that way. Um, it, it, it would be, and look, I'm a keynote speaker, and so oh, you know, it's, I have to rest my rest my voice. So speaking through the diaphragm is probably better, but I, I have to make sure rest my voice too. Otherwise, this is what oh, you get. Oh goodness! Well, and, yeah. Well, you're sounding great now, and I mean, I guess just like so, you're in, you're in, you're 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 lying there in this ho- on the hospital bed. You're in the ICU time and time again. Two induced comas, as we've talked about, like. What, not to get too existential here, but what caused you to be like, I want to keep fighting and keep going at this? Because, I mean, I might have been like, it's time to throw in the towel, you know? I mean, that's, yeah. The courage of people around me. Yeah, okay. My husband, friends, family. Also, I've always had this desire to, you know, do something and get back to enjoying life. So, I mean, I was in hospital for two months, and in, in 2006, I spent four months in hospital. Oh, my God. But I wanted to get back to being fit and healthy. I was always going to the gym, doing cycle classes. Good. So I wanted to be able to get back to, to doing that. I, mean, I had to learn, basically, how to walk again. I had no energy. But over time, you know, walking across the road to get a haircut was, was an achievement, a few weeks later, you know, been able to walk around. And then a month or so later, I was back at the gym doing a cycle class. So I spent, I knew I needed major surgery. So I spent a month exercising to get my, my body fitter in order to have major surgery. And then I had major surgery and I could wow. exercise for about five, about, about five months. I mean, one thing that happened is, after the surgery, and this is probably because I was not diagnosed with Addison's disease at the time, is uh, the wound site was infected. So within Oof. a few days of being released from hospital, I'm back in again. And they're having to reopen the wound, clean it out. Oh. And then I have an open wound for four months, which oh. is packed. Day. Nurses come every single day to actually pack my wound. I'm going back in out of hospital, and and they're saying you've got to be active. You know, I, ha- I had to go for a walk every day. So, as part of a recovery, you build the trust with people, you build the trust with the doctors, you build the trust with the nurses, medical team, and you can never forget the importance of having that moment of being vulnerable and saying, "I'm not okay. This is tough," because those moments build strength and courage to move on. Yes, yeah. life life is hard. You know, it's life is, is challenging, and we do have the opportunity to control how we feel through courage. Yeah, I mean, most people go to the gym for a month to get ready for the beach. You go to get ready for surgery. That's not <laughs> quite yeah. quite the difference. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm amazed by by your story, Martin. And so to circle back to boxing, so you're in those positions. You said very vulnerable, and now you're doing and thriving at one of the most, we would think, physically taxing sports out there. Is it, do you find it very liberating? I do find it very liberating. Uh, I love the feeling, the, the, the mental health and the physical health. 
So it's a great physical sport. It works with your lig- ligaments, your bone structure, your muscles. So most people will never get in the ring and spar. They'll just hit pads or bags or do drills with the compasses. There's lots of great physical activity. For me, it's also a great sport for my mental health. You know, there's the, the channel and the energy. It, it's boosting confidence. Also, having Addison's disease, my body does not produce cortisol. So in times of emotional, physical, or psychological stress, your body will produce cortisol, which is the body's stress-producing hormone. Mm-hmm. So during training, I need to give myself an additional dose of hydrocortisone, which I take every day, to help me get through the training, to help me get through the fighting. So having good management of my condition enables me to train effectively, but the people I train with, my coaches, people I'm working with on the fight night, they are always looking out for me, am I okay? And if I need to step back or miss a drill or something, there's an environment where I can say, it's a bit too much for me today because of my condition, or I need to take some more water, or I need to take an additional stress dose of, of my medication. Because there's an environment of trust, there's an environment of respect, I'm pushed when I need to be, but I'm also pushed back by coaches who care. And I think that's my main experience of boxing, is that that incredible compassion, that incredible care that you experience when you go to a local community club, when you go to a gym, when you go to an event, you see the care of people around you. And that's what I love about the sport the most. So you found it to be inclusive? My, my personal experience is very inclusive. I, I wouldn't go to a space where it wasn't, but the, the gyms I've gone to, the people I've trained with, the organisations I've worked with, certainly in Australia Boxing, Australian Boxing, New South Wales, have been very inclusive. And I would like to acknowledge the World Boxing Council, the International Boxing Organisation, the World Boxing Association, the World Boxing Organisation for providing their statements of support. Now, I, I, to be provided a stamp of approval for increasing LGBTQI plus inclusion and participation in sport has been fantastic. My personal experience is boxing is very welcoming. Yeah. I was reading in the CNN article about you that you also say you find boxing allows you to be comfortable. When I think of being comfortable, Martin, I'm going to be honest, uh, standing in a boxing ring trying to dodge right hooks is not exactly my idea of comfort. So how do you feel comfortable in that environment? So really with, with the training that you do. So the people who I'll be competing against in my fight night, I'm currently training with. So at the start of a sparring, we touch gloves. We might open the ropes of the ring to enable our competitor to come in. So I feel comfortable because I trust the trainers, I trust the boxers, I trust the referees and judges. Because in boxing, you are matched on your skill level your weight, your experience. So certainly in the amateur, you would never put somebody who's done 20 fights with somebody who's done five fights. You have IEBA, which is the Amateur International Boxing Association, has just announced a revision to the weight divisions. There are now 13 weight divisions. You would never put a heavyweight against a welterweight. It is unsafe. So that's why I feel comfortable, because I know it's going to be challenging but I have trust and respect on the people I work with and who I will compete against. That's awesome. I guess it is the ultimate respect in a lot of ways. And boxing as well, maybe this, this is probably the, the writer in me, but I, I keep trying to 
put together these two narratives of you and what you fought through uh, medically and with your health and boxing, it, like resilience comes to the mind, comes to my mind yeah. when I think about that. And it's really a metaphor for a lot of things that our community even faces resiliency. That's what boxing's about. And that's what your fight is about and what so much is about. Uh, resilience, incredible resilience. Our community has and continues to have. We, we need that with greater acceptance, with greater, the more hostility that we face, we just keep moving forward. An example, you know, I've been trolled on social media about the World Gay Boxing Championships. Uh, last year, The Guardian wrote an article, and a few days later on Reddit, there was a thread, and somebody said perhaps Dave Chappelle could lampoon gay boxers. Well, he did that in 2013. So I would love to dispel the myth. I would love to dispel the myth about the LGBTQI plus boxing community that, you know, we are resilient, we're fighters, we belong in the sport. There is nothing different about a person when they're in the ring, when they're out of the ring. They just love boxing. They just want to participate. We want to be included. The reason why we're having to have events such as the World Gay Boxing Championships, in my view, is because we have homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, interphobia, asophobia in sport. I want to create an environment where people can participate without fear and harassment, where they're welcomed and accepted, including our allies. That's how we disrupt the problems in society with more inclusion and participation. We change people's hearts and minds. I cannot understate the impact allies have made with the World Gay Boxing Championships. People within the boxing family here in Australia and globally working with us to increase acceptance, to increase participation. And I think sometimes with the LGBTQI plus community, when we hear bigotry, when we hear the noise, when we hear continue working with the people who want to partner with us, with the people who welcome with us, just be resilient to drive that change and acceptance. Because at some stage, we all think, why are you complaining? We're accepted. We, we invite so many people to Pride events. We invite so many people to join us and just continue doing the great work that you do. Yeah. And, and, and I think an event like World Gay Boxing Championships, any gay LGBTQ sporting event is, uh, is a way to do it. What do you envision for the World Gay Boxing Championships in 2023? Give me kind of an outline of events. So outline of events, so it will be for five, uh, five-day tournaments. Wow. We believe we can have up to 200 boxers if we operate two rings. I have been working with my friends at Boxing Australia. We have just announced the revised program. As I mentioned earlier, Ayiba have updated the weight divisions, so we've gone with six of those weight divisions. How I envisage it, it will be an amateur boxing knockout competition, Competitors will be matched based on their age, their weight category, and experience. So we'll offer like the novice for people who are new and don't have as much experience in the sport, and we'll more of the elite category for people who've, who've been in the sport for longer. We're also looking at a, at a masters division to enable people who may have been involved in the sport previously who want to come back. People like me, I'm in my 40s. I'm only 29 in gay years but I can still participate. We want to make it as inclusive as possible. Safety is the first priority. 
It will be operated pursuant to Boxing Australia and Boxing New South Wales rules. And we just can't wait to have what I'm calling the best boxing event on the planet. I say that. So Eddie, Eddie Hearn from Matchroom Sports, he talks about the razzmatazz of boxing. And there was the... Uh, there was a fight a few weeks ago at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It looked awesome. We have an awesome venue. Can't announce it just yet. But the LGBTQI plus people put the best events on the planet. Imagine that with boxing. We're going to do, we're going to respect the sports. You're going to see awesome boxing. But we're going to introduce a few slightly different things, which we think people will really like. Can't wait. World Gay Boxing Championships, Australia, 2023. Martin, how can the people keep up with you on social? And is there anything else you would like to add? So on social media, we're on Facebook, Wargate Boxing Championships. On Instagram, we're WGBC Champs. Our website is org. To follow me personally, Instagram, I'm at Gay Boxing Champ. And my primary platform is LinkedIn. Just find me on LinkedIn. Oh, LinkedIn. My final message. Yeah, that's how it all started. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Of all the social platforms, I'm on there all the time. Okay. I had incredible support from people offering help through LinkedIn. That's awesome. It's awesome. A lot of the conversations I've had with people about boxing have been through LinkedIn. And my final message to people would be, be courageous, have fun, be yourself. Don't let anybody hold you back from achieving your dreams. Martin, I'm motivated after hearing that. Great talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. All right. So Martin was great. Was he not? Really interesting guy, an inspiring guy. Uh, Amazing story. Love talk. And that's one of the best things about working at Sports, hosting this show. Get to talk to some really cool people. So it was good to talk to Martin and I follow him. World Gay Boxing Championships. Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge boxing guy, but I know I'm going to be following them, and maybe I'll give it a try myself. It does sound mentally liberating. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you next next Saturday.